This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, Mark 4, 35 to 41. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took with they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Well, I was hoping we were going to have a storm earlier today just to sort of give us, get us in the mood for our text this morning. We turned so that we could see, you know, the, the Sea of Makatawa there across the, across the way. But if you've been in a boat on, if you've been on a boat in a storm, you know the feeling. Rain pelting down, wind howling, sails flapping, boat pitching and rolling, wave after wave hitting the hull relentlessly. You know in your mind that the boat is unlikely to capsize, but each crash of a wave tests your faith in that theory. You're soaking wet to the bone. You can't see land. When will this end? Can you hang on? Will all be well? If you've been on a boat in a storm, you know this feeling. Now, it turns out I haven't. I've been on boats, but not not in a bad storm. Call that providence or maybe limited access to boats. you, You do the math. But this is some of what's happening for our disciples in the text today as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And this is a familiar story. I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, have heard uh, this story before. And a cursory, flat reading of this text would tell us that in the end it's all okay because Jesus is with them. And Jesus performs miracles. And we can marvel at Jesus' supernatural ability to calm the wind and the waves. And this might support certain theological beliefs that we have about who Jesus was and is. And then we can feel comforted that our beliefs have been supported as we read a story like this. Now maybe that's a crude take. Maybe that's a crude take. And there's certainly good things in that. But I think that's probably not far off from how a text like this is usually preached on in church. However, I think 
as usual, there's more going on here than first meets the eye, and as often happens with any biblical text, uh, there are deeper waters to explore. Pun intended. Now, for one thing, Mark is one of the first, if not the first, writers in ancient times to refer to this lake in Galilee as a sea. Because really, it was a lake. Uh, the Mediterranean a sea, but this body of water in Galilee, really a lake, but Mark calls it a sea. And why does he do that? The word sea conjured up a lot to the ancient Hebrew mind. And it conjured up things like chaos and danger and threat. So why does he choose to use that word to evoke those things? What chaos, what danger, what threat is Mark envisioning? Well, that's where another clue in our text comes in. Our reading started in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Well, that seems simple enough, right? You need a boat on one side of the lake and you go across to the other side. But Ched Meyer, a biblical scholar, notes that we have to consider Mark's geography a little differently than just point A to point B on a map. When he says the other side, it's not just plain geography we're dealing with. It's not just a journey from west to east, but a symbolic or geosocial geography. And so when Mark says the other side, he's inviting his readers to focus on this journey as symbolic action. Symbolic action, rather than just giving us details about marine transit around the lake. And crudely speaking, in this symbolic geography that Mark is envisioning and has in mind, the western side of the lake was largely Jewish, and the eastern side largely Gentile. And so what we are reading about in this story is a journey toward the other. A journey toward the other. And in this storm, we see the struggle, the struggle to bridge the deeply alienated worlds of Jew and Gentile. I hope that makes sense. And for me, this just helps me read this story and see this story in a whole different light. It has a lot, of, a lot of layers, a lot of nuance. And so we can reimagine the fear of the wind and the waves and the storm as the fear of what is different, what is other, what is alien. And the fear is so great that the only way Mark knows how to do it, the writer of Mark knows how to do it justice, is to invoke those, that ancient image of the sea, which prompts feelings of chaos and danger and threat. Now, of course, Jesus is calmly sleeping in the boat. He's not worried. He's ready for this journey, but the disciples have a different act of reaction, don't they? They are scared. They say, we are perishing. Or in another translation, don't you care if we drown? We started watching a show on Amazon Prime called Them. Anyone seen any of that? 
Not a lot of takers. It's, good. it's summer. You don't need to be watched. It's good. It's good. But this show called Them features a, a black family, African-American family, the Emery's. And they're moving from North Carolina to an all-white neighborhood in Los Angeles in the 1950s. And this is part of a, a larger movement called the Great Migration, in which millions of African-Americans uprooted their lives from the South, from Jim Crow and slavery, to the West Coast, the Midwest, the Northeast, seeking a new start. And the first episode alone is, is worth watching. And so as this family pulls into the driveway, and the show sort of sh shows us, there are five white women across the street, in the house across the street, waiting to see who are, who are the new neighbors. And all they've been told is that this new family has two daughters. And then the car pulls in, they're pulling their little U-Haul, wasn't U-Haul back then, but whatever they were pulling, little trailer with their stuff, and they just made the drive all the way from North Carolina. This black family gets out of their car, smiling, excited to see their new home, get to know their new neighborhood, and start a new life. And the looks on the faces of the five white women are something else entirely. You can see jaws dropping. They're stunned. There's disbelief, there's shock, and there's fear. Fear. Fear of what's different. Fear of the other. One of them says, where did they come from? Where did they come from? And the ringleader of this group of neighborhood friends says, they came from someplace worse. They always come from someplace worse. And another friend says, well, how do we get rid of them? <laughs> Their first thought is, how do we get rid of these neighbors? Talk about a welcoming committee. And Betty, the leader of this lady circle, says to re in the response to how do we get rid of them, we'll just have to make this place even worse than where they came from. That gutted me to hear that. And of course, that's me watching a show as a privileged white person. Can't even imagine to begin to put myself in the place of that family, and many like it. And that, and worse, has so often been the plight of people of color in this nation since even before its founding. Which in some ways makes our text a very timely one, as our nation, as we noted earlier, yesterday officially celebrated Juneteenth as a national holiday for the first time, a day that African-Americans have long celebrated as a day, as their true Independence Day. Of course, even though, background, that even though the Emancipation Proclamation came into being and uh, in effect in the beginning of 1863, there were still places under Confederate control where that didn't happen so quickly, such as the state of Texas, and it was over, almost two and a half years later, June 19, 1865, when a group of 200 Union soldiers came into Galveston Bay, Texas, and declared that the more than quarter of a million slaves in the state of Texas were free immediately by executive order. 
And so June 19th came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. And even though freedom, in a sense, was at hand, the road to liberation and equality, let alone equity, has been rocky ever since. And in our gospel text today, this harrowing sea story intends to dramatize the difficulties facing the early Jesus community as they try to overcome the institutionalized social divisions between Jew and Gentile. Now, interestingly, the difficulty, there's a couple of stories, at least in Mark's gospel, of difficulty at sea, and it's always when they're traveling toward the Gentile side of the lake. That's when there's always a little trouble on the water. Because that's where the challenge was. The winds of change threatened to drown this community. The gospel writer insists that Jesus will rescue this project and silence the winds of opposition. But can he do so today? Or can we, as empowered by his spirit and motivated by his example, deep divisions and challenges remain? Not only for people of color, of course, including, but by no means limited to African Americans, but for gay, lesbian, trans, and gender queer folks. For those, especially in our area, who aren't Christians, who belong perhaps to a minority religion or aren't religious at all. And for so many, many others. And the greatest work, I think, remains for those of us in positions of power and privilege to do the work of repentance and repair. Beautiful phrase suggested by the book a number of us are reading, a book entitled Reparations, which if you haven't read it or even started it yet, the introduction alone is worth getting the book. And the rest of it's gonna be fantastic, but really good and rich stuff uh, should be required reading for white folks. And so many of us must learn what privileges society has given us and be mindful of how that has impacted our lives, but also how that's impacted others. Now, life may have not been easy for most of us, right? Being human is not easy. Being human is not easy. But for many of us, things that haven't made it harder have been the color of our skin or the language we speak, or, or who we love, or how we identify. And so imagine the challenge of life as you know it, and then perhaps adding layer upon layer upon layer, and it gets that much more challenging in our society. And so I think we must build relationships with people who aren't like us, across whatever divisions you can imagine, or, or whatever differences, I should say. Because love can't exist apart from relationship, but relationships aren't enough. We must also see the ways our institutions have perpetuated privilege and injustice and work to tear those things down and build up a new way. But we must see the ways that we have enculturated certain things as normal, such as whiteness, or straightness, or being cisgender, and readjust the scale 
so that black is normal, Asian is normal, Latinx is normal, gay is normal, trans is normal, single is normal, and so on and so much more than any of these things. And it may seem like a lot. It may feel like a stormy sea of uncertainty. But Jesus was never phased by such a journey. And so we must learn from him, not by sleeping on the job, but we must learn from him by realizing that we will get to the other side, to a place where it will be more inclusive, more diverse, and more beautiful, where all are celebrated for who they are, and where equity of life and opportunity is abundant and available for all, a place that looks an awful lot like the kingdom of God. Who's ready to get on that boat? and go on that journey. Amen. May it be so. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.